I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Antonia Dagnan. She's the author of Underwater Daughter, a a memoir of surviving and healing. The impacts of childhood trauma have long-lasting effects well into adulthood. Underwater Daughter is about getting lost in the beauty of trauma, the longing for love, and the potential healing path out of suffering. It details the bittersweetness of holding on to abusive dynamics in relationships and finding the grace to move beyond those patterns. And finally, finding forgiveness in the hardest places. Uh, Tooney, and I guess it's, I can call you Tooney, right? Uh, Tooney Dagnan yes, yes, spent most of her life using a whole host of coping mechanisms to avoid facing the traumas of her childhood a sexually abusive father, and a mother who seemed helpless to stop him. But when a bike accident rendered him her immobile and independent on narcotics at the age of 55, she finally sat down to unwind and understand the circus of her life. Uh, welcome to the show, Tooney. That's what we're going to be talking about today. It took you, with all of the abuse that you suffered during your life, it took you, I guess it took a, we're talking about a traumatic bike accident to realize at the age of 55, uh, you know how to take a look at yourself and uh, stop hiding. And uh, so, let's, mm. yeah. Yes. Hi, Catherine, and thank you for having me on your show. Um, yes, indeed. It was a bike accident that, that essentially rendered me movementless. And from a lifetime of um, defaulting to the livelihood of a dancer, I was training in ballet from the age of five on and had a professional career to have an accident that took all of my um, normal way of identifying myself off the table um, became horrifying to me. I I basically didn't know who I was. And with the addition of, you know, being bedridden and the fear that was introduced into my life, um, being out in the world again and the bout with narcotics, I just felt that I had no alternative but to re-examine how I arrived here. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it, I guess, re-examined how you arrived there. Um, so mm-hmm. let's go back and kind of trace that. Like, how did you arrive at that point? Because, I mean, you had suffered, you you were raped by your father, Um I was not raped by my father. I was raped by a uh, man in his 20s when I was 14. So okay. that was something that happened a little bit later. But um, the the abuse that I experienced from my father was um, more just hands going where they shouldn't go type of thing. And my mom having a full awareness of what was happening and just had her own issues that rendered her powerless to intervene. So, you know, when I began a a reinvention of sorts, it was really untangling a lot of the experiences as a very young person that I sort of compartmentalized and buried in my brain. And, you know, there was a certain amount of normalizing of the experience. And then, you know, sort of self-blaming, self-shaming, all of those things. 
and then the dance becoming my conduit for sort of finding a way of expressing myself without really talking about anything, just moving through the world instead of actually participating in a way that was, um, that, that I would have been seen or heard, you know, in a real way. What about the eating disorders and drug and alcohol mm-hmm. excess, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming came after the the mm-hmm. rape uh, at 14? Uh, that's a way of covering up those emotions and those feelings and not wanting to deal with them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that um, a lot of people will would agree that it's a way of controlling a lot of things in your life. You can, you know, I, I had such little control of my body that along with dance, I could control the amount of food I was ingesting. Right. And it it also became a very um, sort of, because I was bulimic as well, you know, this, this way of sort of, taking in too much and then purging my body, like emptying my body out was a real way of sort of, you know, throwing anger at certain things that I wasn't dealing with, but I was using food as a way of transferring, you know, a lot of those emotions. And I think that's what people do. I think, you know, coping is a way of sort of Deflecting things that we don't really want to see or deal with, all these fears, and just, you know, blanketing them with some sort of tool. And sometimes the tools are healthy, right? Sometimes yeah. they're becoming an artist. And, and But I think the difference is at some point, you know, if, if, you, if you keep the issues buried, you keep the experiences buried in a way, you know, th- those those experiences will, won't go away. They'll stay embedded in your body and the emotions will stay locked into your thoughts and mind. And so at some point, you know, we have to readdress those things. Yeah. I think when you are or when one is burying those emotions, it's also enervating. It takes a lot of energy to bury the emotions and then to be successful at dancing mm-hmm. or whatever that happens to be that you're doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it takes mm-hmm. it sort of double the energy, which is taxing, uh, you you're know, right. on, your, on your brain and on I, your body. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I, it's, it's funny. You go, you know, it's like anything, you know, if, if someone told you to wear a 25 pound vest for a year, I think at the end of the year, you, you may not have had the same kind of awareness of that vest that you did in the beginning. Right. It's, right. You know, those things kind of just become who you are. The other thing is you had do, this, trauma at, in your 50s and if one has a trauma bef- every time there is some kind of a trauma or maybe a major crisis usually some of that stuff mm-hmm. that you're trying to hide does bubble up and you keep pushing it down yep. until you can't do it anymore but do you think mm-hmm. that there could have been let's say a point in your life where maybe you didn't have to wait till 50 or if you were give if you're talking to those out there who have suffered or uh-huh. in the same way that you have, what would you uh-huh. tell them? Uh, don't wait till 50 uh, or 40 or yeah. till yeah. <laughs> or a bike accident. Or a bike accident. I mean, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I do think that, you know, often it is some kind of catalyst that, that can shake one's routine. Right. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's what makes, my writing a book or others being 
proactive in connecting with people that may have had trauma in their childhood. That's why that's so important. That's why, you know, if you sense a niece or a cousin or a friend that's that's hurting for some reason or, or, or you sense a burden, a weight on them, don't be afraid to, to just engage and see if there's the potential of listening. Because I think that is one of the most important things. We can't, we can't really, you know, make or help someone in a way that, that takes the onus of responsibility off of them, but, but we can show love and support and patience and hold space. For people, and that's what we need to do. Whether it's writing that memoir, or just sitting in a room and not looking at your phone and not hurrying to your next thing, and showing someone that you care enough to just sit still and share space with them. Yeah, just be there. Uh, what about your parents? Because you're how how are you able to, or have you been able to? Um, I, I think you've mentioned you've been able to. Uh, connect with your mo- mother and maybe, and I don't know, mm-hmm. forgive is the right word. Uh, what about your father? Well, both of them. Let's talk about both of them and how you've been able to, uh, you know, after you've been silent for all those years. And yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can only speak to my experience, right? I'm not going to say this is the right way, but you know, I did bring my parents, both of them to therapy in my twenties in the hopes that, you know, something could occur at that time. Right. And and I was in the throes of really dysfunctional behavior at that time, too. So I don't even know if there had been some sort of, you know, apology at that time, if I even would have heard it, to be honest. Because, like I said, so much of going through these things, we need to be able to, to conjure up that strength at some point and send the right messages to ourselves. We can't wait for those messages to come from other people. But um, during that time, I, I saw the body language of my father, right? I saw the sadness welling in his eyes. I knew that he had no words for, for what he had done. And at that time, and even today, I understood it even as much as that he didn't understand what he had done right? It was like a disconnect for my father. But my mom, even at that therapy session, you know, she was still angry. She was blameless. She was pointing a finger at my father. And so that that kind of reconciliation or forgiveness for my mom, that's what came decades later. That was a relationship that was very challenging for much of my adult life until probably after my accident, because then what ended up happening was I was able to, to see her and him in a more global sort of human perspective, like all of the fears and pains and circumstances that informed them, that caused them to perhaps not put their best foot forward. And I'm I'm adult enough. I can see that now. I can see the pain that they were in. That had they been taken care of in a different way, they may have chosen differently. And and that's essentially 
how we all kind of move through the world. We Sometimes we don't put our best foot forward. Sometimes there's extreme consequences for that, and sometimes not. You have five children yourself, and as you have said, I guess, five children by choice. So being a mother yourself kind of fits into what you what you just said, like you begin to understand mm-hmm. your parents as flawed people, as we all are flawed, and it depends on, you know, the support mm-hmm. we've had in the past. So as a mother of five children, because how does that fit into your relationship with your parents and understanding their behavior and also how does in terms of mothering your five children, I mean, um, and the experiences that you've had and the ones that you don't want to repeat with them. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no question that the instant I became a mom and I'm, I mean the very instant I realized the the sort of magnitude and extreme vulnerability of that relationship, the mother-child relationship, how that it was, you know, everything, it was on me to be present and to give this new soul love. I knew that that was the, the utmost, most important thing that I could do. And, in, and what unfolded, was this young, you know, the first child, right, teaching me every step of the way what his needs were. You know, it just was. It wasn't me becoming something that I wanted to be. I was literally a student of my child. And the more children I had, the more that exponentially became, you know, my biography. I was learning constantly. From my children now, you know, as, as far as my own demons and things like that, it, it kind of nudged those often in ways that made me uncomfortable and, and you know, it, it sort of became this, okay, how am I putting forward what their needs are and not fully realizing the damage that I keep sort of hidden in the back corners. So it was a con there was a there was a battle there that that ensued. Um and I did I think I did my best to because I wasn't ready to unpack it. I did my best to sort of have a um a, you know a very a, a, as concise an understanding as I could have, but it really wasn't until my accident that I said enough is enough. And yeah. I need well, to I need to figure some of this stuff out. Well, what I hear you saying, I mean, it really is critical. We've been talking about you were figuring it out at fifty. Uh, if you, mm-hmm. if it's for the next generation. It's really important to really dig deep and see what's getting in the way, whatever the issues are, so that because as you yeah. say, you're responsible for the next generation. But eat, don't you think that each one of your kids also brings out different? Uh, I I can't, for a better word, brings out different emotional stuff, you know, each because they're individual and unique personalities. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. And, and not only that, you know, with our best intentions, you know, even if we were the quote unquote, perfect parent and never made mistakes, uh, our children are still going to have their embedded fears, their experiences that trigger whatever kind of 
you know, brief or not brief episodes of self-doubt and lack of confidence and, you know, self-esteem issues and all those things. And so that's the interesting part of it, you know, is, is sort of, you know, coming to a point where you're at peace with, we don't have control of a lot of the things that in our own minds or in our children's minds that consume us sometimes. And yet if we can, if we can just say, Hey, I hear you. I'm listening. You know, maybe we're going to be able to find a different solution. You know, all those things. It's, it's, um, so, you know, you invite something into the experience like child abuse or trauma. Like, that's a big one. Yes. So there's all these different levels of experience that everyone is, susceptible to experiencing. Tony, how much do you, before you wrote the book, obviously, uh, how how -hmm. much did you share or have you shared or did you share with your children in terms of your experiences with your father and your mother and uh, your eating disorders and drug and alcohol abuse and all of those kinds Mm -hmm. of things? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a, I was a pretty open book on most counts. Um, I was I was never very detailed about what happened between my father and I, but there was an understanding that there was it was uncomfortable, and my children from a very young age were also very uncomfortable around him. Now, whether they were picking up on my own sort of signals. Um, you know, I can't say with 100% assurity that that's, that didn't influence them, but there, but if you spoke to my children now, they would say, oh, you know, they just never had any kind of bond or connection or sense of ease with my father. And, and he was an odd man. And so it, it was almost like a given, like that that was everyone's experience of him. Um, but, but many things I did share with my kids when I felt it was appropriate to. And, um, a lot of that was more when they were in sort of this middle school age, just teetering on that sort of young-ish adulthood. And especially, you know, things that I maybe experienced, like the eating disorders and the rape when I was 14, like those, those later years, which is, completely hideous to say that, but, um, you know, those things I did share with them about the same time as they were that my age, right? Because I just felt that that was a, you know, it was transparent, obviously. It, It was a clear indication that their mother was flawed, that she was, you know, that she had, um, coping mechanisms that weren't healthy, you know, all those things. And, and in a way of sort of demystifying, you know, that the topics. And I, when they, as you say, say 14, when you were raped, then you have a 14 year old, mm-hmm. let's say daughter. I, I think parent, someone who has been through that, like yourself, that you become, can mm-hmm. become super sensitive and overreact to maybe some of the behaviors that you're, that, that it's typical of kids that age. And sort of by, Mm. like, as you say, if you're sharing your experiences, it kind of maybe mitigates some of that super sensitivity. I, I, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think 
that's often the case. Yeah, I I, I know for me, I I wasn't like the extreme opposite as far as protecting, especially my girls, but this didn't, you know, I was, I was very um, even handed when it came to what I shared, you know, it was with both uh, my children. Um, And in some ways, you know, because of dance and because of my ability to really funnel a lot of, of who I wanted to be, right, in this persona of dance. And, and that persona was a very strong, powerful woman, right? So I, I really present in a way that's so misleading in a lot of, on, a, on many levels, but, but certainly my children were very aware of this sort of performing, outgoing, strong mom, so that even as I presented, you know, these dysfunctional behaviors or traumatic experiences, they saw that I was more than that. And it gave me permission when I, when I know that my kids are seeing that part of me, I wanted to feed that part. I wanted to feed this independent you know, bring the world everything you have to offer part of my kids. Like, I really leaned in that direction. Well, I, I think you're doing, you did it with your kids and you, and with your family. And, uh, I mean, obviously, being so self-aware and being able to write this book, uh, I think is going to help a lot of other people who find themselves in similar situations. We only have a few minutes left, so I do want to mention the book again, Underwater Daughter, a memoir of surviving and healing. And I've been talking to the author, Antonia Dagnan. Now, Antonia, could you give mm-hmm. us a website or websites to go to uh, for more information yes. about yeah, your work? Of and course. Your okay. Yeah. So my website is my name, AntoniaDegnan.com. You can always Google Underwater Daughter and you would probably find my website it's purchasable there. It's purchasable on Amazon in in paperback and also on Audible, which I narrate myself. And it's in Barnes and Noble, Apple Books, independent bookstores, libraries. If 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 either of those places don't have the book, they will always order it for you if you ask them to. So Instagram, Facebook, all the things. So we can't miss you. <laughs> we have the choice. And I do like <laughs> you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Audible, that's great. And uh, that you yeah. did the yeah, Audible. Yeah, that, that was an incredible experience, actually, to narrate the book. It was really amazing. Yeah, that's a huge challenge. Almost the same kind of challenge as writing the book. Not quite, but it, it is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks mm-hmm. so much for being on the show today. It was really great talking to you. And we appreciate it. And Really, good luck with the book. Thank you so much, Catherine. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 